This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist, where we demystify the world of money and give you a handle on the bigger picture. My name is Thomas and I am not joined by my big little brother Adam this week. Instead, I'm joined by my mate and real-life economist, Tim. G'day, Tim. How you going? Very good, thank you. Now, this week we've got a bit, a bit of a special show. Adam's away, as I said, which gives me a chance to sit in the captain's seat, which I'm enjoying. And I wanted to look a little bit at uh, the energy markets. So a couple of weeks ago on the show, I was saying I was a bit depressed. I felt a bit grim about the outlook coming out of COP26, about the climate change negotiations and where we were tracking, and particular how Australia was performing. And I was feeling a bit grim about all of that. But then my mate Tim reached out to me and said that actually, yeah, there are some things to feel grim about, but there are also some things to feel a bit optimistic about, particularly in the way that the markets are front running the government on climate action. And I just wanted to pull that into a conversation. I thought that was an interesting point that to me didn't feel like it was well understood. I didn't understand it well. So I thought that if I don't get it, then maybe there's other people who don't. So that's the conversation that we want to have today. Thanks for joining us on that. And let's see how we go. So Tim, give us a bit of a rave about why you're interested in this and where your expertise comes from. So I have been working as an energy market economist for a couple of years now, currently doing a PhD in physics at Sydney Uni, looking at the macroeconomic impacts of energy investment. So renewable energy versus um, gas fracking versus coal mining, what the employment and environmental impacts of those different types of investments are. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Let's, let's start with COP26. I'm, I'm aware that I'm in a particular media bubble. What I was seeing, seemed to be seeing was suggesting that Australia hadn't done very much, had committed to do very little, had undermined a lot of the, the push for real action at COP26. Is that a realistic take on things? Yeah, so we did end up signing the final agreement of COP26, which was the, the Glasgow Pact, where, you know, formally the, the goal of the likes of Boris Johnson was to have the final agreement that um, globally countries would agree to phase out coal usage by 2030. And instead, we are now talking about phasing down coal usage by 2030. The good news about that is that is happening in a significant way in Australia anyway, largely due to market forces. So essentially coal-fired power stations are no longer um, profitable to operate a lot of the time because renewable energy generation has just become so incredibly cheap. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, to give you some context on that, the cost of renewable energy investment in terms of like the capital costs um, per unit of electricity generated decreased over 2010 to 2020 by a factor of five. So it now costs 20% of what it would 10 years ago to generate renewable energy. Um, so that's for, that's for solar. The price of um, wind generation has roughly halved in that time as well. And when it comes to um, hydropower, which is the other big energy generation source, as you can imagine, there's, there's not too much technological innovation happening in driving massive turbines. So that's around about the same price. But the, the price of solar has cracked down significantly, and that means that like a lot of coal-fired generators in Australia are simply no longer looking economical in the long term. We've already seen two major coal-fired generators in Australia close down. Those, you know, the large ones in Victoria, so Hazelwood was one of those. That had some pretty significant effects on electricity pricing, but that has since come down and we are now looking at cheaper energy prices than before those coal-fired power stations closed down simply because renewable energy has become so cheap. So that's, that's the good news. Yeah, the bad news is that internationally we didn't agree to much um, in COP26. Um, so can, I, can I just ask on that? So... I've seen stats similar to this. So renewables is becoming cheaper at a much at a, at a rapid rate. It's now cost competitive with coal. So so why? What's the role of government then? Like why are we pushing? If that seems to me sounds like the market is sorting it out. What's why are we why are we pushing the governments for climate action? There isn't it? Won't, won't market forces just take care of this for us? Well, so the market forces could unambiguously take care of it in Australia. It's a little bit different on the international scene. So in Australia, we've got, as you know, sunburnt country, incredible solar and wind resources and land resources as well. So we've got all of the space to set up kind of like giant um, energy farms and that kind of stuff. If you think about a country like Japan or Singapore, there's a lot less opportunity for generating their own renewable energy. And so they may, might need kind of like significant um, government incentives to um, transition away from, you know, coal-fired power generation or gas-fired power generation. But when it comes to Australia, the major action that needs to be taken by governments in order to facilitate further renewable energy investment and therefore, um, you know, the phase out of coal is investment in transmission infrastructure. So power lines, essentially. So the major thing that's blocking renewable energy investment from accelerating at the moment is that there simply aren't enough power lines to connect it all up. Right. So we've got, you know, if you think about the sources of renewable energy, um, where the best solar and wind resources are, they're not where um, coal-fired power stations are located. Coal-fired power stations tend to be, you know, in small towns adjacent to the major cities, like, you know, Araring, for example, in New South Wales. So, but the solar and wind resources are often out in more marginal lands that you don't, you know, that aren't, you know, suburbs, towns or farms or anything like that. And so we need to kind of like build grids um, in order to connect those up. And those grids, um, the investment in those grids are centrally controlled by the Australian energy regulator, and so, and they basically get um, given the 
approval to allow these kind of networks to expand um, from the federal government according to um, you know what the the federal government is allowing to be spent on electricity networks so so, so you're saying there like if I'm a if I'm a private company and I want to raise capital and build power lines and, and energy infrastructure I can I may or may not depending on whether the regulator gives me approval is that yeah, exactly. Because as we privatized our electricity networks, because they essentially operate network monopolies, like you have to connect to this one grid, there's no economic competition happening there. So if you tried to like um, connect to the grid and there was like a monopoly private entity, they could essentially charge you the price that they liked until you had no more money in order to get um, to get your electricity. So they have the essentially a determined level of return that they can make on the capital investment they they put into the network. And so they don't just kind of like build an enormous gold-plated network and make whatever return they like um, by scale. Um, The government says, okay, you can build, you know, essentially $100 million of infrastructure this year. Um, And, you know, it's generally set out in kind of like, yeah five-year determinations as to like what can be built in the network and what can't be mm-hmm. so yeah they they can't like even if it was kind of like economically rational for them to connect up these renewable energy generators they can't do that because the government you know is kind of like containing the level of investment that they're able to put into the network okay so we're saying that the, the poles and wire that's that's the bottleneck for australia to move to renewables is that yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's what like. There's a couple of other like quite complicated things that need to go into the energy network as well, like you know synchronous converters and inverters and all of that kind of stuff. Basically, to turn kind of like the direct current that you get from solar into kind of like alternating current. Um, you know, there needs to be something called inertia in the system as well. But the main thing that you just need is more power lines. Um, the other thing that happens with the renewable energy as well is that. It tends to be generated in quite short spurts, and then you want to store it for use later. So, like when the sun's not shining, if you're um, generating most of it through solar, and that means that an awful lot of capacity kind of like gets shoved into power lines all at once. And if you don't have like enough power lines to take that load, they'll start doing creepy things like melting and catching fire. And Ooh, you know that doesn't sound good. So, at the moment, there's a huge pipeline of renewable energy investments which are economically rational so you know they could make money and bring down power bills essentially like lower the cost of electricity because they're producing at a lower cost but they can't connect up to the grid because that grid either doesn't exist or doesn't have the capacity to handle them at the moment is that is it a substantial amount waiting in the wings there yeah like utterly enormous so 55 gigawatt i think was the estimate put forward by aemo um and so, to give the listeners some context as to the size of that, that's about the same size as the entire national electricity market as it stands in terms of generation of capacity. So, yeah, um, wow. you know, forgetting about WA because they're not in the national market, you know, they're their own beast as they always have been. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the entire generative capacity of like the East Coast and the South of Australia is waiting in the wings um, wow. to connect up to the network, essentially. That's, that's wild. Yeah, it's wild. It's huge. 
And then so then the the decision on whether to invest in the poles and wires and those other things you mentioned that I've now forgotten, that's sitting with the government. And so is that the criticism point that the that's where the government's dragging its heels? Yeah, so I don't think the lack of capacity and transmission infrastructure has received enough media attention outside of like deep renewable energy nerds like myself and energy market analysts. Um, oh, you heard it here first on Comedian vs. Economist. <laughs> But, like, that doesn't mean to say that, like, nothing's happening on that front. So, you know, there are, I think, there is about, like, five gigawatts of investment infrastructure that's been kind of, like, approved to be built in the near future in terms of these things called interconnectors. So, they're really large kind of um, transmission interconnectors between states, which um, allow for power sharing between states, which is something you really want and kind of like a distributed renewable um, energy grid because, you know, if the sun's not shining in Sydney, it might be shining in South Australia. So you want to be able to distribute your generation risk like that. And the New South Wales government has said it would want to see 12 gigawatt of transmission infrastructure built over the next 15 years. So, you know, that's about another quarter of the size of NEM, and that's just happening in New South Wales, which is really exciting. But yeah, there's there's been no kind of like dialogue forthcoming from the government as to like the need to significantly scale up um, our transmission network to be able to deal with um, a higher load of renewable energy generation or anything like that. It's just been kind of like silence on that front, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of like what like something at, at COP26 what you know if if you know if you're pro renewables and want to see Australia reduce its emissions and pull its weight what's what would, would what would be we be looking for from something like COP26 so ideally if i was you know involved in this space you'd want to be saying things like okay here's a concrete plan to bring this capacity of renewable energy generation online um, and have it kind of like firmed with things like batteries. Um, This is the amount of money that we are going to allow to be spent on that transmission infrastructure to support this renewable energy generation. Um, And this is how quickly it's going to um, phase out coal-fired generators and this is how much our emissions will be reduced by as a result of that. Yeah, that's, that's ideally what you would want to see. Mm-hmm. If it, so, if that's a if that's a ten, how do how do we go in at COP twenty six? So, the climate change performance index um, ranked countries um, from one to sixty in terms of their climate um, policies that they brought to COP twenty six, and Australia ranked last. Um, last. So we came sixty out of sixty. And yeah, our, our score was zero. We were the zero. Only, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were the only country to get a zero. Really, punchy the only country there. to get zero. Wow. Okay, that that's a bit grim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, what's less grim? Because it's you know it's really easy for two of us dismal scientists to kind of like stare <laughs> into the abyss, especially when we're talking about climate change. I mean, that's the dismal science of the dismal sciences is um, climate change economics. As much as kind of like federal policy um, doesn't seem to have a lot of detail on this yet and doesn't seem to have committed to any kind of concrete way of 
reaching its net zero by um, 2050 goals. Um, the state governments, for example, are doing a lot on a lot of work in this space. So hang, hang on, I'm just going to pause you there. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsors and we'll jump back into the States just after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome back to Comedian versus Economist. I'm here chatting with my mate Tim, a energy market economist, dismal scientist, dismal <laughs> scientist. Yeah, uh, and we're talking COP26. What's happened out of that? So we got zero on our scorecard for the at the federal level, but the states are running a better story. Tell us about that, Tim. Yeah, so I think I mentioned the New South Wales energy infrastructure roadmap a little earlier. Yeah, so this was put forward by the Energy Minister, Minister Matt Keane, who's always problematizing my relationship to the New South Wales government. He often comes out with initiatives that I actually think are um, a pretty wonderful hmm. idea. So essentially this plan, as I mentioned earlier, looking at 12 gigawatt of investment in renewable energy or about one quarter of the capacity of the national electricity market at the moment over the next 15 years. Three gigawatt of that is going to be what's called firmed renewable energy, um, which is essentially renewable energy plus batteries or pumped hydropower storage. So pumped hydropower, just for the listeners, is when you pump water up a hill. Um, so sun is shining, you pump water up a hill, you let it run down during the day to drive a turbine, and that's how you store energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plan is going to see four out of the five coal plants in New South Wales close in the next 15 years. So... Um, which is yeah four out well, of five wow yeah yeah and um, some of the largest ones as well so we're going to go from um, ten gigawatt of capacity in coal-fired power generation in New South Wales to about one point five over the next fifteen years wow and yeah that's going to be replacing about um, three quarters of the energy generated in New South Wales with renewable sources over that period so. Um, yeah, because currently these coal-fired power stations generate about three quarters of the electricity in New South Wales. So completely mm-hmm. replacing those with zero emissions tech, which is pretty exciting. And then there's... So, so does, the, does the state government own the generators? Is that how they have the capacity to shut them down? No, no. So the state government don't tend to own the generators. That would be like your large power companies generally, like, you know, the likes of um, Origin, AGL, um, but a lot of these companies have signaled that these um, plants are ending the 
um, nearing the end of their usable life and it's no longer economic because of the current um, low prices of electricity, which are driven by renewable energy generation. Uh-huh. Um, no longer economical to refurbish them and keep them operating. And so they're going to phase them out. And what the government can do is kind of like coordinate this in a structured way. They're like, okay, you know, this coal-fired power plant tends to, you know, be economical at this level of um, price. And so then kind of like forecasters who are working for governments can go, okay, after we build this much renewable energy generation, we'd expect that power plant to no longer be operational. And so um, the power company will have to retire that. Um, uh-huh. Not so so much bad news for the power companies because like they will also be building a lot of those renewable energy generation assets anyway. So you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can I pick up one of the questions? One of the phrases I'm hearing a bit is about Australia becoming a green energy superpower. Yeah, is that is that hype? Is that realistic? And what 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 would it look like to be a green energy superpower? Yeah, so I I don't think that's hype at all. Um, so, for example, there's a very large green energy hub being developed in WA. It's called the WA Green Energy Hub or the Western Green Energy Hub, pardon. And that's about 50 gigawatts in capacity looking to export renewable energy overseas. I think the last time I checked out, it, I think a large proportion of that is going to be renewables, um, you know, green hydrogen. So, Hydrogen that's formed through electrolysis, essentially sticking electrodes in water and letting hydrogen bubble off one of the electrodes and you capture that um, and you sell it. And when you burn the hydrogen, it you know, becomes water. It doesn't release any CO2. Yeah, so they're looking at you know, building a plant that's about 50 gigawatts in capacity. And I think um, an undersea cable to Singapore uh-huh. is in the works um, for that as well. And again, to give the listeners a scale of what 50 gigawatts is, Again, about the size of the entire national electricity market of Australia in terms of generation capacity. So, so that's just out of one plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wow. that's just out of like one project um, in Western wow, Australia. Wow. Yeah, and the New South Wales government um, has also decided to um, push really heavily into the hydrogen space as well. Um, so they're providing about, I think, $3 billion in incentives um, out till 2030. And they um, project that they'll have um, green hydrogen being produced at about $20 a gigajoule. So to put that in context, that's currently cheaper than the price of LNG on, um, on global energy markets at the moment. That's, that's kind of like cheating a little bit from the renewables angle because the price of LNG like recently quadrupled but um, you know still um, it's within you know it's within kind of like cost competitive range at the Mm. moment and Mm. the thing about renewables tech is it's always really quickly outstripped everyone's projections on um, its decreasing cost just year after year it's always become far more cheaper than us economists have been able to forecast um, because we're really awesome at forecasting costs. <laughs> forecasting is difficult. I have this conversation with Adam a lot. Forecasting, people just don't understand how difficult forecasting is. It's very difficult, very difficult work. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the but, planet and the entirety of human civilization is a really complex beast. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so forecasting the behavior of societies on mass is just an exercise in chaos. But anyway. We take good stabs, and sometimes we get it right. <laughs> you, had, you had a stat about how quickly solar tech is advancing. Like, is, is that also going to be true of, like, nuclear tech or carbon capture storage? Like, should we be backing all the horses in this race? 
Yeah, so there's probably going to be technological progression on all of those fronts. What makes renewable tech plummet in price so much? What makes it decrease in price so quickly? Why its technological learning curve is so steep um, is the fact that it's a modular technology. So to build a you know, a test nuclear reactor, for example, you need to do that at scale. You need to have kind of like a certain mass of uranium reacting um, in order to generate the energy to, you know, power the nuclear-fired power station. With, um, you know, solar panels, you can build like a, a one centimeter by one centimeter test module. Um, and that mm-hmm. low cost of experimentation when it comes to renewable technology is what makes it so rapid to develop. Um, And that's the same with batteries, like the um, large-scale batteries that you see in grids are essentially working off the same kinds of chemistry developments that you've seen in your phone batteries. Like, phone batteries have, you Uh know, increased in kind of, like, shelf life remarkably from, you know, the 15 years ago when we were using Nokias and seeing those kind of, like, you know, die out three hours after charging them after you owned them for six months and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Yeah, 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 no shade on Nokia. I love my Nokia phone. (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah essentially um because there's such wide scale applications for um these um you know batteries and solar panels so like there's huge markets for them once you develop kind of like a small kind of um incremental improvement in the technology behind them and because they're so easy to experiment on you can just do it on you know tiny scales it means that Um, they progress incredibly quickly as opposed to, you know, a carbon capture and storage facility where you need kind of like a giant underground void to like, um, you know, pump carbon dioxide, um, you know, under the ocean or kind of like, you know, into the Earth's crust in order to be able to test its efficacy. Um, Yeah. And also, if you develop like an incremental improvement in that technology, like it'll just work for the next, you know, plant as opposed to, um, you know, just the next kind of like, you know, million solar panels produced, for example. So, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's more kind of like economically rational for solar panel producers and that kind of stuff to adopt kind of like new technology that's just an incremental improvement really rapidly because they, can, they have the economies mm. of scale available to them really quickly to um, make that um, kind of like capital improvement that's required to, you know, make cheaper energy economically rational for them. So, you know... They can, they can upgrade their factory and just immediately start being able to sell, you know, new and improved solar panels. So, okay, so I am hearing a few things to be hopeful for, that there's a lot of renewable tech in the offing. The, it's advancing quicker than economists are expecting. Um, there's some gains to be made. It is possible for Australia to be a green energy superpower. So, that, yeah, so we're looking okay, it's kind of sounding like. So how, the question I wanted to finish with is how do you rate our species chance of survival well yeah so on the technology and renewable energy investment side in australia um i think that's that's looking pretty good so yeah like i think our our prospects for survival as a species are really contingent on how we manage the geopolitical tensions which are going to arise from rapidly declining agricultural production as a result of climate change which is already baked in from our current levels of emissions 
Like, I don't see any kind of scenario where the human species is completely wiped out, like where we turn into the planet Venus or anything like that, um, <laughs> as a result of our emissions, kind well, of like completely baking the landscape. But, you know, I can see scenarios where um, there are significant constraints on resources and that causes geopolitical conflict, you know, similar to what we saw in um, Syria, where, you know, we had kind of droughts that were made um, multiples um, more likely by existing climate change, leading to forced migrations of populations into urban centers that were of, um, you know, different religions, um, Shia versus Sunni, that caused conflict and that, you know, led to refugee flows into Europe, which then read, motivated a lot of mm. um, the rise of right-wing populism in Europe, um, that kind of like escalated kind of like geopolitical tensions in Europe as well. Mm. So I think a lot of it is going to, you know, depend on whether we as people and our governments can kind of like manage these, these geopolitical tensions in a humane way and work on protecting the biodiversity and the productivity of the, the landscapes that we have left. Um, and yeah, that's that's an open question. It's very difficult to predict human behavior in the long term, as you know. All right, that's a great note to end on. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> no worries. We'll see you next week back in the capable hands of Adam on Comedian versus Economist. Thanks, everyone. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.